Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is Alley Oop. We all know how important moms are for our kids, but did you know that one of the biggest influences on a girl's confidence and self-esteem is her dad? So if her dad says she's smart or fearless at sports or she can do anything she puts her mind to, she believes him, maybe more than her mom? I don't know. The praise and confidence a girl gets from her dad stays with her for life. There's a startup out of LA that is focused on just that. Started by a mom, it's called Alley Oop, and it provides a collection of fun challenges and activities that are specifically designed for a dad and daughter to do together as a team. There are no materials required, and you can access all the challenges virtually through the Alley Oop app, which you can download from the App Store. Just search for Alley Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. It's early access only right now, but if you use the code BOOKMOM, capital B for book, capital M for mom, BOOKMOM, all one word, upon sign-in, your favorite dads and daughters can check it out for free. Laura Munson is the author of Willis Grove, her debut novel. She's also the author of This Is Not the Story You Think It Is, a season of Unlikely Happiness, which is a memoir based on her New York Times modern love essay, which was so popular, it actually crashed the New York Times website. How about that? She founded a writing retreat in Montana called the Haven Writing Program. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. I sure did. Laura, thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is my pleasure to be here, Zibby. Thank you so much for inspiring people to read books and support their local bookstores. And thank you for supporting authors. My pleasure. And if anybody, by the way, who's listening wants to see us live, they can go to our IGTV interview, which is on my IGTV channel. They could they could watch our little interview that we did a few weeks ago. Just yeah. a shouting out to that. <laughs> anyway, so your latest book is called Willis Grove. And on the cover, it says, Four Women, One Week, One Question, which is like, oh my gosh, I have to open up this book. <laughs> can you please tell listeners what the book is about? Sure, I'd love to. Well, so this is a book uh, about four women who are each in a major crossroads moment of their lives. And as a result, they're isolating and hiding and pretending like so many of us do when we're in those crossroads moments, because we're afraid of being judged or we feel guilty or ashamed. And so finally, one of the, the women, Willa, the protagonist, reaches out to an old friend and she spills it. And her friend comes up with this, with this idea that perhaps they should have a week away from their lives and they should invite people who are also at major crossroads moments, all looking at this, the question that we're all looking at right now, which is, so now what? <laughs> and so these four women get together and the recipe that they follow is one that I hope others will too. So, so Willa invites her friend Bliss and Bliss invites her friend Harriet and Harriet invites her friend Jane. And so each of them has at least one good friend and they convene in Montana for a week and they help each other find their answers to, so now what? And they do so by by having those conversations that we all need to be having and so often aren't. So that's the question. Four women, one week, 
one question and the question is, so now what? (laughs) It's awesome. It's such a great encapsulation of women's friendship, even just the reticence at the beginning for people to want to start spilling. The fact that the women didn't even really, they all thought about canceling the trip (laughs) and then they finally got there. And of course, all the different personalities start coming through from someone who wants to pop open champagne to someone who wants to, you know, basically crawl under a rock to, you know, everybody has their own take on how to do it. And yet, of course, the book unveils how everybody gets so much out of the trip. And the greatest part about this book is that you actually lead these retreats yourself, right? So tell me more about that. (laughs) Well, in no way is this book about a writing retreat, but it is absolutely inspired by the last eight years of my life, which has had a very surprise chapter in my life because suddenly I became a teacher. I've always been a writer and a mother and a horse person and a city girl, even though I've lived in Montana for 30 years. But something happens when people gather in these intimate, safe circles, especially when they're there for the express intention of having some sort of result. And so I've been leading even, let's see, I've got six different programs now. I've got a thousand alums of my programs and it is ranked in the top writing retreats in the U.S. So I'm really proud of it because a few years ago I was able to start the Haven Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit. So Haven is able to serve people in a very demographically diverse way. And that just makes for a richer circle of of people and self-expression because that's really what we're doing at Haven, whether you're doing the advanced program for book writers or the initial program or working with me one-on-one or doing a writer in residence. What ultimately Haven does is help you raise your self-awareness and it helps you to find the intuitive nature of what it is that you have to say, you know, because I think you can turn a phrase or twist a plot or have a fabulous command of the English language all day long. But if you don't have your finger on the pulse of what's behind what you have to say, it will never build that bridge to the reader. And so, you know, every single time I lead one of these things, you know, the group says, we're your best group, right? Like there's no way it could be this great every time. And I just have to break the news to them that it is over and over and over again. And that's what I wanted to capture in this book. So there is some writing in it. In fact, I've been leading workshops and using some of the writing prompts that that the women in the book use later on in the book. But in no way is it a writing retreat. But it is about what I call bridge community, because I think sometimes you have to leave your daily community in order to, as the poet Emma Mellon says, I love this, allow yourself to be spelled differently. And I think that's what people do when they leave home and they hang out in a safe circle with new people who are kindreds, but aren't in each other's daily lives so that they can more authentically, you know, bridge back to their, the, the people in their community and their family and friends. So in no way is this book a call to action to not rely <laughs> on love in your life during hardship but it is a call to action to seek new community. And right now we're doing it online, aren't we? (laughs) Totally. This is sort of like what happens after the bachelorette parties. I mean, I feel like there's a time in your life with all the weddings and, you know, when you're in your 20s or 30s and you're meeting all these friends of friends all the time, and then it stops and you go into your mom circles, but it's not the same as before when it's like a one degree of separation. So your your book, your writing communities, your your book community in the, not book community, but your, your retreat in the in the novel, that it's like the continuation of that <laughs> in a way. It is. I want people to read this book and say, I want to throw a Zibby's Grove, you know, or an Elizabeth's Grove and then do the same thing. Invite a friend who's in a crossroads moment. She can invite a friend and then she invites the friend and then convene somewhere and help each other. You know, it's like 
One of the things that I love about this book is that it's not prescriptive. Once I finally allow the characters to write it, you know, they had to have these conversations that I didn't necessarily want them to have. Mm -hmm. And I think most fiction writers know that's true, that when they truly know their characters, the characters write the book. And so they wanted to talk about what was supposed to happen, you know, and then what actually happened. And something tells me that anybody who goes away for a week on a retreat likely has different answers for what was supposed to happen and what actually happened. Yeah. And you know, one interviewer said, did you think there was too much conversation at the beginning of the book? And I said, you know, I think that anybody who thinks there's too much conversation in this book is the exact person who needs to be having those conversations. That's an interesting piece of feedback. I've never felt like that. I love dialogue in books. Yeah, me too. Me too. And and these women are, I mean, they are being brutally honest. Even like you said, a few of them are resisting it. But I have found that when you resist something, that's usually where you need to go. And that's what they do in the book. Totally. I love, um, if I could just read this one paragraph, Will is talking as she has recently lost her husband, which we find more and more out about as the book goes on, but is also dealing with the aftermath, even the financial aftermath and trying to save her well, her town, really, and all the rest. But you have this moment where she's confiding in her friend Bliss, and you say, Bliss, I have no idea what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And you know as well as anyone that it's killing me to pack it all up. There are half-empty boxes in every room. It's a mess. I'm a mess. I don't know this person I've become. I wake up in the morning and just feel this low ache in my chest, and I can't shake it. Every night I hope that when I wake up, it's going to be gone. But when I open my eyes in the morning, even before I open my eyes, I know it's still there. Oh, which, by the way, is sort of how I feel about now. <laughs> it's like, I, like I, I'm going to open my eyes and, you know, our world will be back to what it was. You know, we're recording this while we're still in the coronavirus era. But but this is such a great encapsulation of, of grief and just when your life gets turned upside down, which so many people can relate to, especially now. Right. And, you know, when I wrote this book and it took me about eight years to write it, I never did I think its theme would be so timely, you know, and I was crushed because I was out on book tour and I, you know, I had been planning it for a year. And so we had to call it midway. And it was so amazing to watch this book deliver its message, you know, and and one of the things that was so interesting is that I was doing a poll across country. So I was in New York, Boston, Chicago, and then Minneapolis. And then I was on my way to the West when, when I went home and the poll showed something so interesting to me. And I was asking people, you know, raise your hand if you or someone, you know, is in a so now what moment right now. And about half the room would raise their hand or maybe three quarters. Now everybody would. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. And then I asked people just to kind of call out what they thought were those so now what crossroads moments in our collective. And it was fascinating to me. The top three were career, relationship, and parenting. And what I thought was so interesting about it is that it's no surprise that we go through so now what moments all of our lives. That's what life is. But I think it is new news that we isolate when we're in them. And what I figured out, and I didn't even realize this in writing the book, was that those top three things are things that we sign up for, right? Like we, we choose our partner, we choose our career, and we choose to have children. So if things go wrong, of course there's going to be shame, and of course we're going to isolate. And so I think right now, more than ever, we need to be connecting. And, and I love that you're doing what you're doing because it allows us to do just that. Oh, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah. So eight years to write this book. Tell me a little about that process and why, how did you get yourself to keep at it and not give up? 
Well, the one word non-elegant answer is obsession. <laughs> <laughs> I graduated from college in 1988 and realized I was a writer, much to my parents' chagrin. And so <laughs> I've basically just been nose down writing since then. And I've written probably like 24 unpublished books and some of them are even good. But I've got about eight that are lined up, ready to go. I've mostly written fiction, but I'm known for nonfiction and essay writing. So it was a delight to not be the main character when I was out on the road in this book. But but sort of a more in-depth question about, about writing. And, you know, I work with lots of people who want to write and who are word wanderers. And I think you really have to love the process. And I, you know, some people are out there saying that you have to write every day. I disagree with that. I think that you have to create a flexible writer in yourself. And I think that you have to find a practice that works you know, works for you based on who you are, not how someone else does it. So like based on your responsibilities and and your, your habits and your personality, you know, and to be kind to yourself if you don't write every day, you know? So like I always say, I've raised flexible children and I like to believe that I've uh, raised a flexible writer in myself, but I often will say that writing is my practice, my prayer, my meditation, my way of life, and sometimes my way to life as it was in the time depicted in the memoir I wrote. So you have to love the process. And that's what I teach people how to do, (laughs) I hope. (laughs) Well, let's back up because I know I jumped into your life, you know, towards the most recent parts where you wrote this novel because it just came out. But actually, you're quite known for a modern love piece that you wrote years ago, which ended up becoming a New York Times bestselling memoir called This Is Not the Story You Think It Is, A Season of Unlikely Happiness, based on that modern love essay. So tell listeners a little more about the essay why it was such a shock and then how it became such a popular book. Uh, yeah, it was a shock to me. That <laughs> I have an incredible agent and she had been shopping some novels around and we'd run into some problems because I hadn't developed a platform. And so I, so I wrote my way through this difficult time in my marriage and I applied so much of what I learned as a writer dealing with rejection over the years to a marital crisis. And really that book was about how the mind both serves and sabotages us, you know? So the idea was that we don't have to become emotional victims because of the things people do and say to us. And at that time I heard the words, nobody wants to hear, which is I don't love you anymore. (laughs) No one wants to hear that. And so my agent read it and said, I love it, but we need to work on your platform. So why don't you send it to modern love? Why Why don't you write the short version and send it to modern love? And of course, like anybody who's submitted to Modern Love, I'd been rejected by, by Dan Jones there several times, but I now owe my whole career to him. And in an act of utter desperation and surrender, I I wrote an author statement. Like I had never done that in all, all the years. And this is what I wrote. It says, and it's still on a post-it on my computer, my author. I write to shine a light on a dim or otherwise pitch black corner to provide relief for myself and others. And I never realized that I was writing out of a place of service to others. Mm -hmm. And I have to believe that that informed how I wrote that essay because I had an hour before I had to pick up the kids from school and I just banged it out and I sent it to Dan Jones at Modern Love. I didn't even pitch it. I think I wrote, see what you think about this one. And he took it. And that little essay went crazy viral. And they tell me that it temporarily shut down the New York Times website with the comment. Oh my gosh. I don't know if I could do that again, right? But, um, (laughs) 
And that essay was, was published all over the world. In fact, my favorite bit of a fan mail, this is, this is something I love sharing with people who are afraid to write memoir because they're afraid to write past the fear of exposure, which I can, I can completely understand. I heard from a woman from Tel Aviv and she said, I'm a blind woman from Tel Aviv and I've never been married, nor have I ever had children. And I, I, I read, I heard about your essay and I downloaded it. And it helped me get through the greatest loss of my life. And that was the death of my seeing eye dog to cancer. Aww. Isn't that amazing? Oh so my like, gosh. I think when you're willing to be honest and, and emotionally responsible on the page, you know, I, I never exposed my husband outside of, you know, what he was comfortable with, nor did I expose my family. You know, it was really about my journey. I think it crosses genders and race and, and culture and ethnic groups and, you know, and goes from my little office in Montana, my heart to someone else's out there. That's what, that's what writing memoir and personal essay does and why I still do love to write in that genre. It helps people know they're not alone. It's so true. I mean, as both a, as someone who likes to write essays, and but more than that, somebody who, who reads essays, like I love I mean, there's nothing that helps more than reading an essay and thinking, oh my gosh, me too, or that totally helps me or makes me feel seen or makes me understand the world a little better. And it's just such a gift. So I don't know. I feel like the personal essay is such a such an important sort of connecting device, really. Yeah, I agree. And that's what I tried to do with Willis Grove, even though it's fiction. I tried to create conflicts for each of these women that, that are really relatable and, and questions that I have, too. But I, I like to say none of these characters is me and none is anyone I know. However, they are all of us. Right. And it's fun because a lot of people are reading it right now. So I'm, I'm getting feedback and, and people are, are saying, you know, thank you for asking that inconvenient question or having that one character share her dirty secrets or, you know, her inconvenient truths because I need to go there and I've been afraid and just being with those women helped me to not feel so alone. So that makes me happy. That's awesome. There's one other part of the book, if you don't mind, that I just wanted to flag. They're playing this little game where they all go around the room and talk about everything they used to you know, feel ashamed of, but they're not. And so they have to keep, all the girls have to, girls, all the women have to say a phrase. And for example, they go like this, shame that I'm rich and didn't work for a penny of it. Shame that I'm afraid to be alone. Shame that I'm a hermit. Shame that I'm broke. Shame that my kids are ungrateful. Shame that I'm afraid to let go of my house. Shame that I let ambition ruin my life. Shame that I'm ungrateful. Shame that I will go down in history as the motivational speaker antichrist. That's so awesome. And that just like speaks to the humor that like courses throughout this book too. It's just like all these funny little moments interspersed with some of the sad, heartfelt moments so that it ends up with everybody just feeling completely understood. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I love that you pulled that out of the book. Well, I say that none of this is autobiographical. You can bet that writers mind their lives, right? That's part of what we do. Even if we're writing sci-fi and the character sprouts wings and flies out the window, you know, I mean, even Stephen King, when he wrote Cujo, probably was still somehow mining his psyche, right? So, so that scene is the closest to something that really happened in the whole book. Um, I was sitting with three friends in a cabin in the woods in Montana, and we started talking about shame. And we just started going around the table like that. Shame that I, shame that I, shame that I, and it was just like this great chorus of truth. And well, I've got goosebumps right now. And I just, I had to put that in the book because what if we were that real more often, you know? And I think right now with COVID going the way it is, it's like people who would would have resisted this book or even resisted some of the things that come out of these women's mouths of even a few months ago or a few weeks ago 
are having to be real, you know, right now they're having to really expose how they're feeling. And, and that's why I'm happy this book came out now, even though the tour got canceled, I think it, it could never have been more timely than for it to launch right now. It's true. Still, <laughs> I also feel like this is such a movie. Like this is such like a, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Diane Keaton, all sitting around the cabin, total movie. Was it already optioned? Is that in the works? <laughs> I I hope so. It's not, it's, <laughs> I don't have a movie deal. I have a couple friends who are movie producers and I, I've sent uh, the book to them and I'm just sort of hoping that they'll they'll grab it. Because what I love about this book is that it doesn't sell out you know, I mean, whoever writes the script to it, if they if it does become a movie, I think would have a real blast with it because to me, it's just, it's very real. And these women are very real. And like I said, their conflicts are really real. They're willing to go to the heart of the conflict, you know, and if we don't do that, how are we ever going to find resolve? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this book in no way is tied up in a pink bow at all at the end. And I think sometimes I feel sort of allergic to those movies or books about like four women, you know, in a cabin in the woods. But I'm proud of the way this book ends, and I'm 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 proud of how deep these women are willing to go. So yes, I would love for it to be made into a movie. <laughs> I'll take you to the Oscars. How about that? <laughs> awesome! <laughs> like my oldest dream, right there. <laughs> That's a dream of mine too. I've always hoped to go to the Oscars, but who knows? <laughs> so, what is coming next for you? Are you going to write another novel? Did you love this process enough to do it again? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've written like I said, many novels, but I'm working on a book right now about the power of authentic self-expression. And I, it all is based on what I've seen for the last eight years leading Haven. And I want that book out there because it's not just about writing. It's about what I was saying before, tapping into your intuition. So that's what's next. And normally I'm in my high retreat season right now. So those are obviously canceled. So I think I'm going to take the next month and really focus on that book. And then I also have a memoir that I wrote a year ago, all about empty nest. And, um, you know, I think that's a conversation a lot of people aren't having. A lot of women are in menopause and empty nest and alone if they're divorced or single mothers for the first time in their lives. And they're not having those conversations. So the book is full of those conversations, but I, it's a sad book for me to read. <laughs> so Aww. I don't really feel Hitting it right now. So, but you know, funnily enough, both of the kids are home right now and I've got a very full nest. Now. So, but yeah, the next book is all about word wandering and I'm excited to finish it. Awesome. Do you have any advice? You probably have more advice than probably anybody I've talked to now that you lead all these writing retreats and all of that, but do you have any parting advice for aspiring authors? Oh, sure. Let's see. <laughs> The first thing is read, please read and read outside of your genre as well as in your own, because often you can see things outside of your own genre that you can't see in the one in which you write. And also just take tons of notes in your books and never lend them out to anybody because they'll think you're crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And just treat them like your textbooks. And like I said before, you got to love the process. And then here's something. A lot of people are using this very lofty phrase, including me, find your voice. What does that even mean? Well, to me, when you're in your voice, you know it because you lose track of time. It's it's even if it's dark or difficult material, it flows, you know, and and that's what I want people to start paying attention to. That's when you're in your true voice, when there's ease, even if it's not easy. 
And it also really helps to write a one-line statement about why you write in the first place, knowing that it can change season by season in your life. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave with mine again, because I think it's helpful. I write to shine a light on a dim or otherwise pitch black corner to provide relief for myself and others. I'm telling you, the minute I wrote that, I have to believe that that's why that essay came out. And, you know, the book was already written. So I was able to get a publishing deal with the great and almighty Amy Einhorn. I was very lucky to work with her. And sort of the rest is history. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And such an inspiring story. Also good to note that you should have a book in the wings when you pitch Modern Love, because you never know. <laughs> you never know. You and never know. <laughs> and yeah, they got the, the, the essay was made into not one of their Amazon Prime films, but they did do the podcast, which was really fun. And they allowed me to go on and talk to it years later because a lot of people misunderstood that essay. And so it was really fun to be able to represent the message. But hopefully that's another bit of advice for writers. Whatever you're writing needs to stand alone. And once you put it out in the world, it's between that book or that essay or that poem or that short story and the reader, and you got to let go. And that's hard to do. And so final advice would be find somebody who can help you. You should not do it alone. Writing is done in solitude, but it is born of community. And that's part of all the retreats. Love it. So great. Oh, Laura, thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Time to Read Books. Thanks for doing my Instagram live show. And thanks for just being such a source of inspiration. Oh, triple your welcome, Zibby. And thank you for all that you're doing in the world. We need more people like you. So thank you. Oh, so sweet. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to today's sponsor, Ali Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. Check it out at the App Store and start bonding with dads and daughters right away for free with code BOOKMOM, B-O-O-K capital B-M-O-M capital M, if that makes sense. Book mom. <laughs> Thanks for checking it out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 